You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. The great Anglican preacher John Stott said that a preacher exists between two worlds, that their study must exist with the Bible in the left hand and the newspaper in the right. And boy, did it exist that way this week. And to be honest, over the past couple of weeks, I've felt a bit awkward talking about humility and suffering and hope before we move into this fun time of Christmas. And yet the events that have unfolded in Sydney this week have had me thinking that perhaps God has ordained the intersection of these topics for such a time as this. That at 9.50am on Monday morning, there was a scar that was placed upon the face of Sydney and a memory that will not be forgotten by so many in this precious city. And in light of what has happened this week with the gunman who took hostages and two of which lost their lives, many are asking the question at Christmas time, how can there possibly be joy in the face of sadness? And we'll see this morning the problem of joy, the uniqueness of Christian joy and the source of that joy. Because it has been awkward, hasn't it, to look at the segues of so many of the various presenters on the television, particularly when you see the ad campaigns that have been in place for six months and their frivolity and uh, their expected Christmas cheer and they cut straight through to the realities of the situation that we were all facing and you could see the pain and the awkwardness on the faces of those who are segueing from that on breakfast television. And here's what I have saw happening. What I saw happening this week is that Sydney-siders have become aware, more aware of the superficiality and the fragility of the joy that we think that we have. That in the face of such horror, the things that we consciously or subconsciously have sourced our happiness in are revealed for what they really are. They're counterfeit joys. That is, they've captured us by their feeling of the blessing rather than delighting in the blesser itself. And here's how you know you've got counterfeit joy, and that is that something breaks in and steals it from you so easily. The joy of many this week was burgled by the act of one person. And so the conversations changed this week. They changed in cafes, they changed at dinner tables of families, They changed in workplaces. The conversations changed. And people in many respects feel what Bruce Hornsby and Don Henley once sang back in the 80s, that for Sydney this is the end of the innocence. That which we thought would never really happen here has happened here. Images normally reserved for CNN, BBC now appear on 9 and 7 and the ABC. And as a result, the average Sydney cider has realised in a new way that we have a problem. Now the left side of politics will say that problem was a lack of education. That people weren't educated enough in tolerance and love for one another. That the problem is human intolerance. The right side of politics will say the problem was because the borders were left wide open. 
The problem was that we had weak bail laws or they weren't enacted fast enough. But the Bible doesn't swing to the left or the right the way that we do. Instead, it goes deeper. And the Bible says that there is an evil in the world that has not been caused by the city around us. Instead, it has merely been revealed by the city around us. So the problem with joy is that if it's planted at the surface level, the pride of a peaceful country, the thought of a safe city, (laughs) the problem with counterfeit joy is that it can be so easily stolen by pain and sadness. Frank Camo, the British uh, literary theorist, said, It seems there is a sort of calamity built into the texture of life. To hold happiness is to hold the understanding that the world passes away from us, that the petals fall and the beloved dies. No amount of mockery, no amount of fashionable scowling will keep any of us from knowing and savouring the pleasure of the sun on our faces or save us from the adult understanding that it cannot last forever. And didn't we talk about that the other week? You know when you're an adult at Christmas that something's always breaking in on your joy. And so if we can't escape this breaking in of the sorrow that we're all feeling, that's stealing our joy, then what other option does the world have? And the world often approaches this in one of three ways. On one hand, they try and forget the sorrow and the sadness. Some of the world do this through narcotics and through drinking or through pleasure or through fun. Others try to avoid the sorrow and the sadness and they just give up on commitments. I refuse to give my heart to anyone or anything. Others, they just try and deny, deny the suffering and the sadness and they say, oh no, I'm fine, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> but in every one of those cases, you have to numb yourself to the feelings of the sadness and the sorrow and you don't become more human, you become less human. And that's why we now see the power and the uniqueness of the Christian joy. Because the opposite of Christian joy is not sorrow or sadness. And we'll see that in a second. But in, in John chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus gives us a brilliant illustration to speak into all that we have seen this week. He says, I tell you the truth, you'll weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So it is with you now in your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Uh, Jesus, we sort of wonder, how is joy like a woman in labour? And I've got to say, I've had the privilege or the scary process of witnessing that firsthand with my firstborn. And it's true, when a woman is in labour, they're in intense Intense pain like they have never felt before. And yet, the minute that our little boy was born, the pain seemed to just disappear and dissolve. And Jesus gets that. Note that he says, he doesn't say the pain is over. He says that she forgets the pain. What does it mean she forgets the pain? It means that she refuses to be dominated by it. She refuses to be controlled by it. She refuses to focus on it. And so going back to the illustration, when a child is born, the mother's mind goes to the child. She looks at it. She studies it. What gender is it? Who does does he look like? Whose fingers has he got? Whose toes has has he got? And see what happens in the pain? The woman's mind is suddenly captured by the child. 
And so Jesus is not saying that Christian joy eliminates sorrow and pain. He's saying it overwhelms sorrow and pain. In Christian joy, both pain and sorrow overlap, and that is its uniqueness. I mean, our response as Christians to what has happened in Martin Place this week is vastly deeper than most because Christians look at the horror of what has broken into our lives this week. And on one hand, we're more pessimistic, we're more optimistic than anyone else in the world. We're more pessimistic. In some ways, we're not shocked by this because two weeks ago, we talked about suffering and its inevitability. We are patently aware of the evil that lurks. We are patently aware that it's this evil that is the true thief, not the man that walked into the cafe. And we're patently aware that Jesus himself here in John says to his followers, you will grieve. Nor do we find or have to find cliche justifications to help make us feel better. Nor do we have to find things like it was just one person. Or nor do we have to find a hashtag as wonderful as it was to bring us a sense of hope into the situation. There is deep grief in Sydney this week. And a mother of three is gone. And it can't help but tear us up. You and I are affected. There's grief and there's pain as Christians. And we're more pessimistic on one hand than many, but on the other hand, we are far more optimistic than everyone else because the true message of Christmas has always been, not just in this series, but for all time, that it is God with us. That God has broken in. And the Christian looks to the horror of Martin Place and says, what this people have been through is terrible and the scar on the city is irreversible, but I also know an innocent whose life was snuffed out. And it was God himself. And so this week, Christians are both sadder than most Sydney-siders this week, but we are more deeply optimistic than most Sydney-siders this week. We grieve alongside everyone else, but we are more joyful than everyone else. And here's why, finally. And that is the source of our joy. As a Christian, it's possible to have joy and sorrow overlap in your life, and it not only uh, detract, that pain not only detract, but actually enhance your joy. And here's how it happens. The opposite of joy is not pain and sorrow. The opposite of joy is hopelessness. We've talked about hope the other week. and We've seen that the Christian is both happier and sadder than everyone else in Sydney at the moment. The reason is because we have hope. And what is the Christian hope? Is it just heaven? Is that it? If it's just heaven, is it, then heaven is just compensation for all the things that are lost. You talk to the parents of the victims of the siege this week and see if compensation alone will be sufficient for them. Compensation is good, but it's not enough. What we see in 1 John chapter 4 is this letter, as Annie put so well to us, that someone has said here, that which was from the beginning, that which is God, we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked, we have touched him, and we are trying to proclaim this to you. That he is alive, that he is real, that he is broken in. That is the Christian hope. And here's how it works. Here's how it transforms pain and sorrow into joy. A while back, a couple of years back, I had a nightmare. One of those nightmares, I don't know if you guys have ever had one of them, but I, I had this nightmare that my wife Kristen was violently killed, that she was taken away from me. And when I woke up in a cold sweat, 
got no idea the feeling to, to turn over and see her lying there next to me. And it was all I could do at three o'clock in the morning, not just to grab her and shake her and kiss her and hug her. I didn't because she'd turn to me and say, what are you doing, you idiot? (laughs) Well, now's not the time. (laughs) But here's the point. The joy of finding her lying next to me wasn't in spite of the nightmare. It was a joy that was enhanced by the nightmare. Do you understand? It was because of my nightmare that my joy was ten times, a hundred times intensified. It was as if the nightmare was, was totally swallowed up and taken up by the joy of having her back. The nightmare made the joy greater. Now, do you know what this means? It means this, if, if heaven is just compensation for all the stuff that you've always wanted and never going to have, that's one thing. If heaven is just compensation for the things that have been stripped from you painfully in this life, that's one thing. But if heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, a resurrected Jesus, if it's God restoring all of this, if it's to take everything that is horrible that you have ever experienced and make it nothing but a nightmare then a nightmare will do nothing but infinitely increase your future joy in a way that it wouldn't have increased if you'd never suffered it. And that, guys, is the ultimate defeat of evil. Our momentary afflictions achieve an eternal weight of glory and joy beyond all comparison, right? Paul says that, Romans 8 I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Same illustration. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. But who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Do you get that this morning? I don't think you do. And I say that simply because I don't think I get it. So it means some of you mustn't be getting it either. Paul says you have to have your eyes fixed on this. You have to fix your eyes on it. This is a discipline. You have to think about this. And you have to think about it until it pulverizes your discouragement. And you have to let the glory of it hit it, hit you until it pulverizes your dis- discouragement. And then guess what happens? Then you don't just accept suffering because you know that God doesn't want it. And you certainly just don't avoid suffering because you're now realizing that God can use it to transform you. <laughs> And you don't embrace some suffering like some kind of masochist because you realize that, that this is just evil and that God didn't want this Martin Place siege to happen. But look at how he has worked out in Jesus Christ so that even the evil will become the eventual servant to our joy and our glory. Fix your eyes on this, is what Paul says. Don't you see it's a discipline C.S. Lewis once wrote, At present, we're on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and the purity of the morning. But they they do not make us fresh and pure. We see the morning star. We see the glory of the sun. 
We cannot mingle with the splendors we see, but all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. And someday, God willing, we will get in. Are you saying like Hornsby and Henley said, I know a place where we can go that's still untouched by men. Study it. Look at it. Allow this to focus your mind. Allow this to capture your mind. Allow this to dominate your mind this week. And slowly but surely, you'll experience the power and the uniqueness of Christian joy. That all of the pain and the suffering in your life won't be eliminated. But like a nightmare, it will be overwhelmed by the purest power of joy itself. Let's pray.